Hello everybody, Bradley here, and welcome back into Let's Dive Deep Bridgerton for the last time before Daphne and the Duke start having intercourse in front of every person, on every surface, and in every room of their giant estate. I don't actually know that for a fact, I've just watched the show and I was promised when I started reading this book that there was tons of smut, and I don't normally read smutty books, and that's probably the charm of this podcast. So I think they're getting married in this chapter, this has got to be, we got the birds and the bees talk from Lady Bridgerton, which was entirely insufficient, and we'll talk about that. But I'm just saying, all I'm saying is we're 250 pages in my copy of this book in, and it is yet to live up to the heights of the show with regard to the doings of the Duke and Daphne. And I think next chapter, we're probably going to start getting into that. And you might be thinking to yourself, man, it's a little bit weird that you're excited for this part of the book. That's a little strange. And to that, I have to say, uh, what else about this book are you meant to be excited about? That's the whole point of this book existing. Second, I, if you've watched the show you and you listen to this podcast about the show, you know how much I appreciated that scene with the Taylor Swift cover. You know how much I dug that. You know how much I was into that. So um, that's the next thing I'll say. And I think the final thing I'll say is, if you got this far in the podcast and you thought to yourself, Man, this guy's probably not going to be excited for the smutty part of this book. That's the whole point of doing the podcast. That's what makes this funny, is that I'm just I'm just a, a mid-20s dude with a Bridgerton book who was given a microphone, and we're here. All of that to say, this might be the last quote-unquote like calm episode of the Bridgerton podcast until we get to the beginning of book number two. Real quick, before we get started, adult content warning. Uh, this might be the last chapter that's not explicitly adult content. I'm not sure. I'm just really hyping myself up. I've not read farther in this book. I'm just really hyping myself up because I could feel it happening in this chapter. I was, you know, I was starting to feel like, oh, they're going to do it. And then they didn't. That's probably next chapter, but that's okay. There will be adult content in this episode of the podcast, however. So please, please, please do not listen to this around children. And uh, with regard to spoilers, I have watched the show. That was part of the fun of doing this book podcast. So uh, I will be talking about the show in its entirety, both season one and season two. I won't endeavor to spoil anything, but it's part of the discussion. So if you've not watched both seasons of the Netflix adaptation, go and do that first and then come back here. Or if you don't mind if I spoil it, that's totally fine as well. I have not read any farther ahead in the book, though, so I cannot possibly spoil uh, past chapter 13 of The Duke and I into the other Bridgerton novels. It's not possible. I haven't read it. Usually at this part of the podcast, right before I dive into the chapter, I ask you to go leave reviews places, and I, I don't do a good job of highlighting those reviews. I do want you to know that I read those reviews, though, and I do really appreciate them. They help get the podcast out to more and more listeners, and so I thought what I'd do at the beginning of every podcast now is I go through some of the reviews that I've received over the couple of years we've been doing this podcast and just kind of make sure I'm appreciating you properly. So this review was left on January 24th of this year, 2023, and it says, Best Bridgerton podcast, five stars. I have not listened to many other Bridgerton podcasts, but hopefully you have and you've decided this one's the best. I have a hard time believing that, but that's okay. Uh, A-Z-K-B-I-L-Azkabal. I don't know how to say that. 
I have listened to multiple Bridgerton podcasts from people that are probably far more informed since they've read all the books already. And let me tell you that none of them are as good as this one. I'm someone who has, uh, who has read all the books, watched the seasons, and so I really didn't think this would live up to what I wanted it to be, but it absolutely did. I'm still just on the first season analysis of this podcast, but let me tell you, when I saw that he has done season two and is currently doing the first book, I got so excited, literally set with a go-to podcast for a while now, and I just want to say, holy shit, that's fucking awesome. Whenever you get to this episode of the podcast, I'm so happy to be shouting you out. I'm so happy that you love this podcast. I I still can't believe that I get to exist and read a Bridgerton book and watch the show Bridgerton and have people listen to it. It feels like I shouldn't even be able to own a microphone for this purpose, right? I am the worst person to be doing this podcast, but I'm so glad you all are you are all enjoying it. You all are enjoying it. My words, that's how, you know, flattered I am by this review is I can't even speak properly. So I just want to appreciate all of you leaving reviews, all of you telling your friends about this podcast, and I'll go through some of these five-star reviews because they're just incredible. Thank you all so much. There is also a Patreon out there for those of you who are enjoying this podcast and might want to help financially support it and make sure I can keep doing it sustainably. Uh, Patreon has recently done a free trial feature, so I've made like the, the $3 tier, the $3 a month tier on a free trial if you want to go check that out. Uh, that tier, you really just get early access to the podcast, but hey, you know what? It really helps me out buying new audio equipment, those types of things, and you get to have these podcasts a little bit earlier, so that's pretty cool. By all means, don't need to do it though. I totally understand if you don't want to pay for my degenerate 27 year old self to talk about Bridgerton. It's all good. It will always be free on this feed. I'm not gatekeeping any content there. It's just if you're having a good time and you are able to help out in any way that it's great. Um, but let's get into chapter number 13. We are here. It is time. The last chapter before things get crazy and we have a wedding. Before the wedding though, we are at the Bridgerton estate and Daphne has not seen the Duke in a couple of days. This is interesting. She she thinks if it weren't for Anthony telling her that the Duke is still around, she might be convinced that he's skipped town, that he's ditched her and isn't going to marry her. But Anthony reassures her. He's talked to the Duke. They did the marriage contract. And I just want to say, holy fucking tits McGee. Like, what is a marriage contract. I'm sure I could Google it and I, I do read all the reviews and there's a lot of reviews that say, man, I wish this guy would just Google something instead of wondering out loud on the podcast. And to those of you, I don't care about your reviews. I do care about them, but I'm not listening to them. Anyways, um, I don't want to Google what a marriage contract is. I'm worried that I will Google what that is and throw up inside my mouth a little bit. I have a funny feeling it reads kind of like a trafficking thing instead of a marriage contract, but whatever. The part of the contract that's important to this chapter is that uh, the Duke is being a gentleman and not accepting a single cent as a dowry. Now, this serves two functions. Uh, the first function is that we get to have, view the Duke in an interesting way. He is not taking a single cent as a dowry. Uh, this makes sense, I suppose, because uh, he has tons of money and land and all of that stuff, so he doesn't need it. 
Although I think in this world, needing the money is separate from taking it. I don't think this is something that happens often, but it also uh, serves to remind us, the reader, that, oh no, Daphne really wants to have kids. And like, she even says something about she might burst into tears because Anthony says, well, you know what? If he doesn't want to take this money, our dad put it away for your dowry. And so you can just give it to your kids. And then Daphne has to be all sad. Thanks, Anthony. But it's a good reminder, just in case you, uh, like me, did not read these chapters back to back. It's a good little reminder getting back into it. Oh, yeah. The problem with this whole thing is that Daphne really, really wants kids. And Simon, uh, at least uh, to Daphne's knowledge, can't have them. And this will come back later when we have the birds and the bees talk or the talk about absolutely nothing with uh, Violet Bridgerton later. Um, but yeah, this book is doing a really good job of reminding us exactly what the conundrum with the, the kids is going to be in this marriage. Simon shows up, and this was all absolutely hilarious. Both of them are kind of independently wondering, like, hey, are we going to get along? Can this go back to being how it was? Daphne's wondering, like, hey, I used to get along with this person so easily, and now I'm really nervous. And part of what makes... Look, I, I keep mentioning this every episode. People like to shit on this book, and I get it, and I thought I'd hate it. There's a lot of relatable moments in here. For me, for you, the audience, I sympathize so much with Daphne, not in her situation, obviously, but with this idea, there are some people in all of our lives that you're just so comfortable around and over such a long time, you develop this relationship with them and then something in that relationship changes. And all of a sudden it's a little bit weird to talk to them. Same if you haven't seen a friend in a while, right? Like you are best friends with this person. You used to hang out every day and then one of you moved and you know, it's a year later and you're flying back to visit. And you haven't seen this person in a while. I, you feel like this weird thing in your stomach. Like, oh, are they going to like me? Am I going to like them? Uh, what are they going to think of me? You know, we haven't talked in so long. Who are their friends? You know, there's so much that can that can happen. And, and a, lot of, a lot of the human experience is worrying about shit that you shouldn't worry about. You know what I mean? And that's kind of falls under that is a lot of times you worry about this stuff and it absolutely doesn't matter. You meet that friend again. You get along uh, just as well as you did before. This happens to me a lot in my life. I work with a lot of people from different countries, usually Australia, New Zealand, sometimes Germany, sometimes the UK, sometimes other cool countries in the world. There's hundreds of them. Um, and I work with a lot of people from all those countries. And so oftentimes I spend a gap year with them. So they come and work where I work uh, for a gap year and then they go back home. So we become like BFFFFFFLs for an entire year and then they go back home. And then I, I often see these people again. I travel to Australia and New Zealand fairly regularly kind of, um, and then they'll travel back here, we'll catch up somewhere. And I haven't seen them in, in many, many years. And there is this, you know, bit of anxiousness. You haven't seen each other in a while. And I know this has only been two days, but in this case, it's a relationship change, right? Like they have gone from just people who can shoot the shit with each other, uh, who are the only two people that they feel comfortable talking with, and it was just so easy and natural. And now they're betrothed. And how does that change a relationship? I am really fascinated by how these circumstances can change a relationship, even though nothing about the people has changed at all. I find that fascinating. It's the same with a breakup. Like if you break up with someone, even on good terms, let's talk about a good terms breakup because it's easier, right? You break up with someone on good terms just for whatever reason. Someone's moving. Uh, someone's going to a different college. You know, you're just going in different directions, but you amicably, uh, amicably break up. And then you see, 
each other a year later, two years later. It's not really awkward. You know, you're not pining for each other, but you're you have a similar group of friends. So you meet each other at a party again after a little while. Like the people have not changed, but the relationship has. And how does that impact the experience is super fascinating for me. So I really enjoyed this whole bit of Daphne and Simon both kind of wondering what's going to be the same, what's going to be different. Does it need to change because they're betrothed? Very interesting psychological stuff happening here. And of course, in the scene, because they're two lovebirds and they're, they have, you know, they're on fire. That's how much chemistry uh, they have. They pretty quickly sink back into it. And every everything is sexy. We'll talk about that. You know, if you listen to my podcast on the show, that the whatever reason, the glove thing gets me. I'm a little into the glove thing. It, the way it was in the show specifically, but the way it was written in the book also pretty cool okay but before things get sexy they just get funny they're cracking jokes they're telling each other that they're always right just a great bit of writing they are you're meant to get the sense here that they are meant to be together that they are going to have the best marriage ever and you do really feel that they were both worried about this thing they both still have some lingering worries kind of about how the kid situation is going to work into this um you know i think at some point i think it's uh, the duke says they'll find contentment I think is what he says in the, I read this chapter like two hours ago. And you know, <laughs> I should remember a lot of it, but I don't, but that's okay. Um, they, they acknowledge, or at least the Duke does, I think that it's going to be a little different, but mostly um, once they kind of calm themselves into it, they get back into a routine and they're, they're two lovebirds cracking jokes. And Daphne kind of starts all prim and proper, you know, talking. The way it was written was very static and very static and stoic, two words that are very similar, but in this case makes sense. You know, she She's trying her best to be a proper woman who's about to get married and talk to her betrothed. And she's like, she says like, why have you visited me? Why have you, I'm trying to do my uh, Daphne. I would not survive well in this world. I can't speak properly. Um, why have you visited me today, Mr. Duke? And he's like, what? You're, are, am I not meant to visit my betrothed? And she's like, oh yes, that makes sense. You know, I just enjoyed all of this kind of banter between them. Now, there's no sex sequence in this chapter. So once again, I hate to disappoint you. We're not going to be able to do a Brad reads a sex thing from a Bridgerton novel, which I'm sure every chapter from here to the end of this book is going to have that segment and people will either love it or be really weirded out by it. We'll see. Um, but, you know, things got a little sexy. The 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 glove thing. It's the glove. Th I don't know what it is, man. It's the glove thing. They do this little thing where he like pulls off each individual finger and slides it off. And I don't want to talk about it for longer than this. I don't want to make it weird. It just did something for me. You know, you know, you're reading this. We're all reading this book and everyone's going to have the part of the book that does something for them. And that was the bit. I can stop reading this book now, I think. To be honest, if I wasn't doing this podcast, I could stop the book right here. I'd be like, I got all of the horniness I needed from the book, and I can just combine that with the back half of the television show, like where the book ends at this chapter. I'll just, instead of reading the rest of the book, watch the back half of season one of the show, and they just complement each other so perfectly that I think it would work out. Anyways, now that that weird segment is over, uh, the reason the Duke is here, though, is to give Daphne a ring. And does this guy skimp out on the engagement ring or the betrothal ring? I'm not really sure what this is in context of a, you know, a, what is this a Regency era wedding? I don't know what the ring situation is like and what it's for and what the purpose is. But this guy splurges. He's a Duke. He's got the money. He ain't need no dowry. He's buying the coolest fucking ring on the market. And 
because you need to love him and because he's a cool dude who's very much lying to Daphne about the kid thing, but is otherwise a cool dude, he says the line, this, you know what, this, this made me a little hot and heavy for the Duke, I'm not going to lie. He says, um, you know, it should suit your tastes, not mine. A man that understands that he's spending all of this money on a, you know, it's described as more like a band than a ring, but it slides over her knuckle and fits perfectly anyways. Um, he knows that he's buying it for her and she should like it. And her liking it is completely disassociated from him liking it. Right to him, it could be the ugliest wedding band ring engagement regency, whatever the fuck on the planet, right? But as long as she likes it and she finds it, you know, attractive and sexy and you know, big and bright and shiny and expensive, then that's what matters. And I just wanted to give the Duke, you know, Mr. Simon, a little pat on the back here. Way to look out for Daphne's interests and have that understanding instead of looking out for your own. We can finally confirm that the Duke is not the type of person that would buy someone else a Christmas gift that they know that the person they're giving it to isn't going to like, but that they themselves would like. So the person they're giving it to just says, ah, I don't really want this, but you'd love it. You can have it. I don't know if what I said just made sense, but it's the old trickaroony switcheroo at Christmas where you buy someone a gift they're going to hate, but you're going to love knowing that they'll just give it to you. And then you bought yourself a gift and you're a prick but you got the gift. So is it worth it? I don't know. I'm not going to judge your morals and ethics. You can decide for yourself whether that's ethical. I'm going to say absolutely not. But you know what? You do you, boo. I'll let, I'll let whoever you gave the gift to um, yell at you for that one. But uh, we know now that Simon is not the person that would do that, which is a huge bonus for Simon. I hate that. Now that we know that the Duke and Daphne are going to be fine, they're having fun, they're having bants, they're sexily taking gloves on and off each other. They're kissing knuckles. They're putting rings on. They're doing all the shit. They're having fun. Uh, Ma, it's mama. <laughs> this part of the book is so funny. This part of the show is so funny. Um, it is time for Violet Bridgerton, Mama Bear, to come and give Daphne the old sex talk. Daphne needs to learn about intercourse. She needs to know what's going to happen on the wedding night. Now you could do this in about, you know, 30 seconds to give the brief version. You need probably, you know, half an hour to get into the real details of, of what's gonna happen. Um, and so Violet could say, hey, Daphne, let's talk about this, you know, just plain facts. Uh, the Duke has something called a penis and it's a bit strange and it looks kind of funny if you've never seen one. Um, and you're gonna have this weird sensation where you're attracted to it, but you don't know why, because it looks horrific. And then um, he's gonna use that and then you have a vagina and that is something you already know about because you have one. And you might've been wondering um, why there's an opening at the bottom and he's gonna put his penis in there and then that's gonna happen, and this is what it's gonna feel like, and this is what's gonna happen at the end, and all that stuff. All right, that was about 30 seconds. I think I did a decent enough job. You know what I mean? And what I did do, I know that was probably awkward to listen to, but I'm just showing you that it's possible. I'm just showing you that you could do a reasonable version of this talk, even if you only had 30 seconds and could only get to the bare bones basics, okay? Does Violet Bridgerton do any of that? No, 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 no. She focuses more on pleasure. Again, I support this. I say again, I haven't talked about this yet. I support this. This is a good second act to what I just did. You explain the process. He's got a thing. You've got a thing. They connect. 
She focuses on babies and pleasure. She focuses on babies by saying, yes, this thing that's going to happen, um, this is how you make babies, which leaves Daphne perplexed because she, she has no idea. I have it hard to believe. I find it hard to believe that Daphne lives in a house with all of these uh, boys, Colin, you know, Benedict, Anthony, and she doesn't know how sex works. Is that believable? Someone who's a historian in the Regency era, let me know if that's believable. In the show, what they do is they, like, Daphne doesn't know, but they give, before this, they give Simon a moment to teach her how to pleasure herself, just for shits and giggles. It has nothing to do with their marriage. Simon's just like, hey, here's some tips. You can masturbate, which, again, fully supportive of. I'm super happy with that. Um, but this, but in the show, uh, Daphne already has done a little bit of exploration before this. But also, they've made these jokes about like, animals in the barn, which Violet Bridgerton shuts down. So it's not quite as Daphne has absolutely no idea at all what's happening. But in the book, she has no idea what's happening. And so she's like, Mom, does that mean you've, you've had, and she counts like on her fingers, eight kids. So you've done this act eight times? And she's like, no, 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 no. I've done it more than eight times. Uh, and then Daphne's like, well, if you have a kid each time, then how have you done it more? And then Violet decides not to explain it, which is even funnier. And she's horrified. She's mortified that she's doing that. The whole time that Violet is giving this, you know, birds and the bees talk, she's absolutely mortified that she has to do it. So that's the baby's bit. And that leaves Daphne feeling bad because she wonders, because, you know, what I mean, maybe Violet, I don't know what the scientific knowledge of Violet is. Maybe all she knows is, you know, have sex, have children. Maybe she doesn't know the sperm and the egg bit. I'm not sure. But anyways, um, Violet doesn't explain what happens at the climax, at least on the male side. You know what I mean? She doesn't explain that. Um, so Daphne kind of leaves wondering if uh, the Duke will be able to do this uh, the thing that she thinks is like kissing, which is just amazing. Um, she doesn't know if the Duke is going to be able to perform this ritual because uh, he can't have kids. And so um, this inadvertently, kind of like the dowry thing, makes Daphne feel a little bit bad. Um, but you know what, Daphne? I wouldn't worry. I think he's going to be able to do it just fine. And the second thing that uh, Violet focuses on is pleasure, which I'm most supportive of this one. If you're going to talk to Daphne about anything, you know what? I'm at least satisfied that it's, hey, this can be good for you too. Simon seems like a gentle fellow. He seems like he's going to take his time. It seems like you're going to have a good time. But just go into it knowing that you are allowed to have fun as well. So much of the media, and you know, all the media gets these eras mixed up. Like you could tell me it's the Edwardian era or the Victorian era or the Regency era, whatever era, right? I, I think a lot of pop culture is just like, if they're wearing a corset, they're from this kind of era, that type of thing. So all of this kind of gets mixed up in culture, but so much of the time, the sex in these things, at least in a, in a book like Bridgerton, it's meant to be super sexy and great. Right, but you just keep getting depiction after depiction after depiction, which is probably truthfully very accurate, where it's like there is no pleasure in it for the woman at all. There's not, you know, it doesn't even seem like there's much pleasure in it for the man, even though there there is. It seems like more of a duty. He kind of just stumbles in after work and it's the kitchen table and the skirts get hiked up. You know the scene I'm talking about. We've all seen it a million times. And so, and and no one in these stories ever even tells 
the woman that it could be pleasurable. And sometimes that's just it and there's nothing else to it. It's just part of the story. And the times where it does focus on the sex, you usually have a, a character come in later and say something about how if you do this or teach him how to do this, you might have fun as well. Or it's okay to do this, not just to have kids. You're allowed to do this because you find it pleasurable. There's maybe a character that says that kind of later in the movie or TV show or whatever. Or it's a it's a self-discovery thing, right? Like the dude accidentally did something <laughs> that she found pleasurable. Or there's something about it that she kind of finds nice. So then she does some exploring on her own and figures out that, hey, I can like this. So we've seen that a million times. I am stoked that in this book, um, in the in the in the TV show they gave it to the Duke, which is I think you know funnier for the show, but happy here that it's Violet, that someone is telling her straight off the bat before the first time. Just so you know, if you don't enjoy this, right, there, there is a world in which you could. This can be pleasurable, and you can do it more times than just to have kids. That's not the only reason you can do this. And I think that's good information to be disseminating. This is a, you know, sex-positive podcast, and so I am pro this message uh, being told by Violet Bridgerton. Now, I can already envision some people typing up their emails, so I just want to make a few disclaimers here, Okay. The first disclaimer is I think what Violet Bridgerton does here is, you know, terrible parenting. She says at the end, well, that's all my mom told me about. So just get on with it. Terrible parenting. Not good. Very bad. I don't think she does a good job here. I'm just particularly fond of at least one part of the message. I think she does a terrible job in explaining this to Daphne. I think she sets Daphne up for failure. And assuming the plot in the book uh, ends up in the same place as the plot in the show, um, this setting her up for failure um, means she's going to fail. She's going to do something later. Um, at least she did in the show, and I'm assuming she will in the book. That is um, also no good, very bad. And it kind of starts in this moment where she isn't given all the information she needs. So I just want to point out that I don't actually think Violet does a really good job here at all. I actually think she does a, a wholly insufficient job and sets Stephanie up to fail. I just, there are parts of what she's saying that I think I can support. And the second disclaimer that I always need to make is the I, I absolutely... 100,000% do not want to speak about the experience of the first uh, sexual encounter you will have as a, you know, woman or what information would have been useful in a birds and the bees talk as a young woman like Daphne is here. I don't want to pretend like I have the information. I don't want to pretend like I know at all what the fuck I'm talking about. So if you are somebody who was given a birds and the bees talk at around the kind of age Daphne is and had it kind of before your first experience, uh, just know that I am aware that I am the worst person to be talking about this. And I am aware um, that the conversations and preparation and those types of things um, that I got uh, from my perspective may be very, very different. So I am putting myself in a position where I'm assuming what kind of information might have been helpful, but I acknowledge that that assuming things leads to weird places. The problem is that the whole charm of this podcast is that it's a solo podcast with a pretty stupid 27-year-old Canadian dude talking about Bridgerton. So I can't divorce myself from that. So I just want to be aware if you've listened to me talk about that and go, this guy has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. That's not at all what it was like. Feel free to send me the email. I'd love to know what your view 
on this experience is. I would actually genuinely love to know from the perspective uh, of somebody a similar age and kind of gender presentation to um, Daphne, how you would view this talk from Violet. I'm just viewing it from what I can, you know, understand putting myself in somebody else's shoes, having an experience that I did not have. So I just want to acknowledge that that's the truth of the situation, but that's how this podcast rolls. And it's always going to be a little awkward for me. Now that I think I've successfully avoided at least some very angry emails and will maybe only get kind of angry ones, let's talk about the wedding. That is the next part of this book. And I do want to say the first part of the book that I genuinely liked the way the show did it better. We had this with the book earlier with the Greenwich. They went to Greenwich and I really loved the Greenwich scenes in the book that were not in the show at all. But the wedding part, they just did so much more in the show to make it compelling and to add more spice and verve and life to it. They had this whole special dispensation thing they needed in the book. It kind of happens off screen. They make a mention that somebody ran down to get the dispensation, but I guess they got it because they're having the wedding. In the show, it's a lot more complicated and they go and get it and the guy says no because the queen doesn't want to be embarrassed that the diamond of the first water isn't dating her prince. The prince isn't even in the book. That is completely show invented at this point. I'm just remembering the prince now because he plays the Quidditch guy from Harry Potter in book five and episode movie five. I think it's in movie Cormac McLaggen. I think it's in movie five. Anyways, um, I'm just remembering the whole plot point now is that there is a prince involved and all that stuff. That is completely absent from the book. And I loved that so, so, so much more than just showing up at the wedding. It added a lot of stakes. It added a lot of like, oh shit, they must really love each other if they're going to do this instead of the prince. It gives the Duke a chance in the show to do this really cool speech where he has to, he has to convince the queen. Think about this. In the show, the queen says no or the queen tells the religious guy to say no to the special dispensation because she's jilted because Daphne didn't want to marry her cousin, her nephew, whatever, the prince, right? And so they need to go to the queen personally and ask for this dispensation, and the duke has to give this really good moving speech about how much he loves Daphne, and it's romantic, and it's sexy, and it's in front of the queen, and it's a whole big pile of fuck yes okay and then Daphne looks at him lovingly and is like oh I want to marry this man so bad and us as the audience are go this show is amazing I'm having so much fun and all of that was just raw <laughs> I'm just I'm just bullshitting now it was fun it was great it was energetic it was awesome I really got up my own ass there holy shit um but yeah I just loved it so much in the show and just kind of showing up to the wedding in the book it was fine the way it was done in the book but a little bit disappointing the wedding is small. It's intimate. There's only a handful of people there, which I think makes sense because they want to do this. They want to get this done really, really quickly. But for whatever reason, Julia Quinn decided Gregory needed to sneeze the whole fucking time, which was very annoying. Like, I get that it's annoying in the wedding, but it's also annoying to read. And I was kind of annoyed by it. And unless this Gregory, unless this is like Chekhov sneeze or Gregory's sneezing is going to come back later at some point to be some kind of plot thing. I don't know that it needed to be in there. I think it kind of ruined what was otherwise, you know, a, a pretty fun, romantic little bit at the wedding. But then they kiss. Then they kiss over Gregory's sixth sneeze for whatever reason. He's got to sneeze six times in this little paragraph. Um, they kiss. 
And it is a weird, to everyone else, like in the book, like a weird, strange, interesting kiss. And it's passionate and they're laughing. And then Hyacinth says, well, it's a good thing they're laughing. They're going to be happy forever. And then uh, Violet has a really profound fucking sentence in this book that I did not think would be full of profound things. She's like, yes, laughter is always good. Thank you for reminding us of that. Like, what? What is happening? That is awesome. I think you and me and everyone listening to this podcast should be pro-laughter. Let's let this be a reminder to all of us that laughter is good and we should endeavor to laugh more and to make other people laugh. I hope this podcast makes you laugh. I hope you've laughed three times up until this point. And I hope you've only written one half angry email. That's the ratio I'm going for here. And so I just think it's a good thing that this book is supporting laughter. I can, I can get behind that. I think that does it for this chapter, though. Uh, the Duke and Daphne are now married. I know we're not going to get the Taylor Swift cover, but I am hopeful that we're still going to get the kind of sex on every surface of the, the estate sequence in the book. Um, I do. I am actually genuinely curious to see if it's the same in the book where the Duke takes her to like this inn on the way back and she has to have her first experience. She's mad about it. And then she has to have her first experience in this inn, but then it ends up being so good that they, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm excited to see how this plays out. I'm excited that this chapter spoke highly of female pleasure. And um, uh, what was it? What was the other thing? Laughter, female pleasure and laughter. Two things everyone uh, in this podcast can get behind. In fact, Let's just do this. You know, we here at Let's Dive Deep, we just support everyone in uh, consensual sexual environments to all have whatever pleasure they hope to derive from the situation. That's just where we're at. This is where we're at with this podcast. I want everyone going forward to be on board with that message. If you, fuck, I'm gonna get in so much trouble for doing this. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please go leave one of them reviews. I would love to read them. I would love to read them at the beginning of the podcast. I'm going to start doing that because y'all have left me some great reviews over the last couple of years. Feel free to head over to Twitter. Feel free to check out the Facebook group. Feel free to check out the Patreon. I think that's it. That's all. I hope I'm not in too much trouble for this episode. But if I am, the Bridgerton podcast was fun. I had a great time. If I'm not in trouble, I'll see you for the next one, which will cover chapter number 14. And I think that leaves us with all that's left is to read the little blurb for chapter 14 from Lady Whistledown. Chapter 14. We are told that the wedding of the Duke of Hastings and the former Miss Bridgerton, while small, was most eventful. Miss Hyacinth Bridgerton, 10 years of age, whispered to Miss Felicity Featherington, also age 10, that the bride and groom actually laughed aloud during the ceremony. Miss Felicity then repeated this information to her mother, Mrs. Featherington, who then repeated it to the world. And by the world, it's just London and not the rest of the globe. Sorry, that was me talking. This author shall have to trust Miss Hyacinth... Oh my goodness. Okay, let's try that again. This author shall have to trust Ms. Hyacinth's account since this author was not invited to view the ceremony. All right, everyone. That is the prep for chapter number 14. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next one.